don't know this. And the disciples don't know this. Uh, they, uh, Cleopas has heard that, uh, that the, the tomb is empty, but no one has seen Jesus. And here this, this couple is walking back to Emmaus. It's about seven miles uh, from Jerusalem. And Jesus comes upon them, and it's not, it's not an accident. It's, it's a divine appointment. And Jesus knows exactly what they're talking about. But Jesus wants to hear from them. And so they share Jesus' heart. To, to Jesus. They, they share their heart to Jesus. Uh, in our text this morning... Jesus enters the room where the 11 disciples are. Actually, there's 10 disciples at the moment. And Jesus comes into the room. And he's going to have the same kind of conversation that he had with uh, this couple going back, to the, uh, back home to Emmaus. And so, looking at Luke chapter 24, we're going to start with verse 36. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Here we, he, we see a physical resurrection, a literally bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. This isn't a spirit. This is physical. Yes, he has the ability to pass through doors, and we don't understand how this, this transpires, but it is a body, and this is similar to the body that we will have in the resurrection. It will be an immortal body that is prepared for eternity. And notice in this body that Jesus uh, is hungry and he wants to eat. And uh, so he said in verse uh, 39, For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. Verse 40, And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they, were still, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate before them. And then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but, say, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus is going to go back to the Old Testament just like he did with Cleopas and who was walking with him that day and share with them all that the, the, that the prophets, that's including Moses and the prophets, all the, all the law concerning Moses and all the Psalms. What Jesus is referring to here is all the Old Testament is referring, is talking about Jesus. Now, again, not every page it points to Jesus or is about Jesus, but it's about God's redemption story. It's about his story, about history, and how all of history, God's story, is culminating in the person of Jesus. And we looked at that last week, and we are looking at that today. 
And last week we looked at the fact that before Jesus had opened the couple's eyes on the road to Emmaus, he shared with them the Old Testament. This couple didn't know who was speaking to, who was teaching from the Old Testament until at the end of that conversation when the Bible says God broke, Jesus broke bread with them. And when he broke bread with them, then their eyes were open. Why did Jesus keep their eyes closed? Because Jesus wanted them to focus on the Old Testament and what the Old Testament said about Jesus. Had Jesus opened their eyes in the beginning, they would have been so excited, they would have been so elated that they would have missed what Jesus had to convey. I spoke with um, a lady, had a conversation with a lady this last week, and um, she <clears throat> she, had, she struggles with deep Bible study. That, that's not how she's wired, she says. She loves to worship Jesus. She gets caught up in um, the, uh, the emotion of a worship, worship service. That's how she connects with God. And she has a hard time with people. She's in a life group right now. She's not part of this church, but she's in a life group where, you know, they just like to go deep into scripture and try to figure things out. And that's not who she is. And I shared with her, you know, this passage that I talked about last week. Jesus says that there's going to be a time when we're going to worship him in both spirit emotionally, with our heart, and in truth, through the Word of God. What does the Word of God say about Jesus? And it's really important, church, that we have a balance of both. Jesus wants us to worship him with our heart. Jesus wants us to be caught up in, in, in worship and just focusing on the Lord and, uh, and be filled with adoration and praise. That's good. But if that's all that re is reflected in your life, it leads to um, spiritual shallowness. We're not to just appreciate the milk of the word, but we are to appreciate the meat of the word. And we need to know what the word says, what what God's story is, and how it's all found in Jesus Christ. And Jesus fulfilled all that the law and the prophets and the Psalms had to say about him. And we must know this truth. And so we must be about both. And so I want to take the rest of this uh, message this morning and just kind of speculate. What were the passage, passages that Jesus may have gone to to, um, to talk about how he was the person who was going to fulfill all these promises that the, the prophets and the Psalms had uh, laid out uh, of God's plan? So, we don't know exactly, but uh, I have a pretty good hunch that some of these passages were passages that Jesus was referring to. And so you have uh, in your listening sheet this morning three different sections. The first section is the law. And the law we find in the first five books of the Bible. And uh, I believe that uh, Jesus may very well have gone to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And this is after Adam and Eve have sinned, and God is having a conversation with the, the serpent, with the devil. And in verse 15, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. What is that referring to? This is referring to Jesus Christ. 
God says that uh, from Adam's sinful offspring, there is going to be the seed of one woman. And this, the seed of one woman is the person of Jesus Christ. And that seed is going to bruise the head of the serpent, bruise the head of Satan, and and Satan will bruise the heel of Jesus. And what happens to the head of Satan is a whole lot worse than what happens to the heel of Jesus. And so right from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, God is beginning, God is hinting at what, who is to come and is going to be the answer to the problems that Adam and Eve have uh, placed upon not only themselves, but uh, all of mankind. And then we see in verse 21, go to verse 21 of Genesis chapter 3. It says this, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Why did God do that? It's because Adam and Eve were hiding in their shame and their guilt. When they had eaten of the forbidden fruit, the Bible says their eyes were open and they had the ability to know the difference between good and evil. And when they saw their nakedness, they were shameful and they hid and they covered themselves. And so here God is in the garden and they, and God sees their guilt and their shame And the Bible says in verse 21 that God made garments of skins and clothed them. This is the first sacrifice. And again, it's a shadow. It's a hint of how God is going to cover our shame, our guilt, our sinfulness. Something innocent will have to be sacrificed so that that guilt and shame can be covered. And so right in Genesis chapter 3, and then maybe he went to Genesis chapter 4, talking about the offerings of Cain and Abel. Um, God accepted Abel's sacrifice. Why? Because it was it was an animal sacrifice. Blood was shed. God didn't accept Cain's sacrifice. And so again, another hint of a sacrifice that's coming. I'm sure Jesus would have gone to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22 is the story of Abraham and Isaac. Isaac, God's son of promise to Abraham and Sarah. God gave Abraham and Sarah Isaac well beyond their child-rearing years. Sarah was 90 years old. God was 100 years old. Again, or did, did I say God? Abraham. Abraham was a hundred years old. Too many details in this message. But uh, Abraham was a hundred years old. God did something that man couldn't do for himself. Again, this is another um, part of salvation. Uh, when it comes to our salvation church, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. And so when God does something supernatural in the Old Testament, again, he's showing us his nature. He's showing us um, his grace. And, and so here God has told Abraham, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. Now, we don't know how old Isaac is at this point, but he's old enough to carry the wood. And as 
Isaac is carrying, he's obeying his father. He's carrying the wood up to Mount Moriah. Again, this is a picture of the cross. Jesus carrying his cross, his sacrifice uh, on our behalf. As Isaac is carrying the wood, he asks his father, Father, we have the, the wood. Where's the sacrifice? Abraham says, Isaac, God will provide. Abraham knows that he is to sacrifice his son. Now, this doesn't make any sense. God, this is against God's law. God does not want man to sacrifice children, and yet God is telling Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Doesn't make any sense, but Abraham continues to obey. And he gets to Mount Moriah and he puts Isaac on the altar. He raises the knife. Okay, I'm going to sacrifice my son, but somehow God's going to raise him from the dead. It doesn't make sense, but I'm going to continue to obey. As Abraham raises the knife, the Bible says Isaac doesn't flinch. He stays on the altar. And in the midst of raising the knife, God tells Abraham, stop. God never intended for Abraham to sacrifice his son. But God is outlining for you and I that there is going to be another sacrifice that is going to be our substitute. And in Genesis chapter 22, we find that substitute caught in a thicket. Isaac isn't sacrificed. A ram is sacrificed in Isaac's place. Again, a foreshadow. A picture of what's going to come many, many millenniums later. I'm sure Jesus went to Exodus chapter 12 and the Passover story. Here in Exodus 12, the children of Israel are in Egypt. They're slaves. There's been um, nine plagues that uh, have happened to uh to the Egyptians trying to get Pharaoh's attention to let the children of Israel go. God continues to harden Pharaoh's heart because God is showing not only the Egyptians, but Israel, who God is, how mighty, how powerful he is. And it's in the 10th plague where the firstborn child is to be killed as the death angel goes through uh, uh, Egypt Um, The way Israel is spared, the children of Israel, the firstborn sons of Israel, the male child, are spared, is of an innocent, unblemished Passover lamb. That lamb is to be slain. That lamb is to be cooked. That lamb is to be consumed not a bone of that lamb is to be broken and the blood of that lamb is to be spread across the 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 doorpost of the 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 israel's home and as the death angel goes through that city that night and sees the blood of the lamb covering the door doorpost all who are in that home are spared, are protected. The firstborn male children are protected. Church, it's the picture of what the sacrifice, the perfect, unblemished lamb of God that's to come, that was slain before the foundations of the world for our salvation. 
Jesus had to have gone to Exodus chapter 12. Leviticus verses 1, chapters 1 through 7, we learn of the, the five different offerings, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering. All these are pointing to the person of Jesus. The Day of Atonement, uh, Leviticus chapter 23. Write down this passage. I don't have it in your outline this morning. Leviticus chapter 16, verses 1 through 34. And the two goats, uh, one representing the, the, the sin of the nation that was slain, and the other goat where uh, the sin of the people is put on the head of that that goat, and then that goat is led out from the camp of Israel, never to be seen again. Again, a picture of God removing our sin as far as the east is from from the west. Jesus is saying, I am the goat. I am the goat that is slain. I am the goat that is removed from the people. The sin, the, the sin of the people is removed. I have done all of this. And so what else Jesus may have talked about? We don't know. But again, these are passages in the law that point to Jesus. Now let's go to the prophets very quickly. Uh, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Jesus may have said, hey, remember um, last week when I rode on that donkey into Jerusalem and everybody was shouting, Hosanna, Lord, save us. Welcome the king. Hey, that's right out of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. You know, I planned that. This was fulfilled prophecy. That was something that Jesus had control of. But Jesus didn't have control of Zechariah chapter 11, verses 12 and 13. That's when Judas went to uh, the high priest and uh, turned in Jesus. He became the mole and he was given 30 pieces of silver. And after Judas was watching all that had transpired uh, in Jesus's life that, that night, Judas took that, that, those 30 pieces of silver and went back to Annas and Caiaphas and threw the silver back at him. I don't want to have anything to do with this. And the Bible says the money fell onto the temple floor. Well, uh, the Sanhedrin, um, that was now blood money. And they couldn't, use, they couldn't put that back in the treasury. And so they had to buy a, a potter's field uh, with that blood money. Uh, buy a field for, um, for the expansion of cemetery, for, for um, burying dead people. Again, this is fulfillment of prophecy in Zechariah chapter 11, verses 12 and 13. Then we go to Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6. Again, this isn't a prophecy that Jesus had control of. But look at Isaiah chapter 50. Talking about the suffering servant. When we read Isaiah's prophecy, remember, this is like the fifth gospel found in the Old Testament, 700 years before this takes place with Jesus. Verse 6 says, I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace. And spitting. All that happened to Jesus as we look at it that in Luke chapter 23. Look at verse chapter 52. Verse 3. I'm sorry, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, at his appearance, at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children 
of mankind. This was what we see in the person of Jesus Christ as he goes through that scourging, as he as he's hanging from the cross. People can't recognize who he is, if he's even a human being. And Jesus is sitting down with his disciples saying, this had to happen. And the disciples, they're, they're hearing this like it's for the very first time. They know Isaiah chapter 52. They've been to the synagogue services, but that's gone in one ear and out the other. When they're thinking of Messiah, they are thinking of a triumphant, glorified, when it all cost a Messiah. And no, Jesus is saying, I had to suffer first. Something innocent had to be sacrificed for our sin to be forgiven. I am the Passover lamb. Isaiah chapter 53 verses 2 through 5. Jesus had to have talked about this passage of scripture. Verse 2 says, For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Some theologians thought that this was so descriptive of the the suffering crucified Messiah that this had to have been written after Jesus was crucified. That uh, they took the book of Isaiah, they didn't have any um, documents at the time. They didn't have uh, Isaiah's words um, that were um, um, having been copies uh, prior to Jesus' birth. So they were thinking to themselves, this is so descriptive of what actually happened that somebody had to have written this in after the crucifixion of Christ, first, second, third centuries A.D. But then somebody found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And what's so unique about the Dead Sea Scrolls is that the Dead Sea Scrolls, these were were copies of the original book of Isaiah, but these were copies that were written in 400 B.C. The book of Isaiah was written in 700 B.C. And the Dead Sea Scrolls are 300 years uh, removed from the original documents. Again, prophecy. uh, So crystal clear as to what was going to happen to the Messiah that it actually did in 33 AD. So we see Isaiah chapter 53. Again, this is in verse 9, Jesus is buried in a rich man's grave. That took place. Jesus was numbered among the transgressors in verse 12. Yes, he was crucified between two thieves. Why is all this happening? Because God requires blood. It's the life of an animal. It's the life of a man. God requires blood 
for the forgiveness of sin. As you read through the Old Testament, there is an ocean of blood that all points to the ultimate, the final sacrifice, God's Lamb, Jesus Christ. And when Jesus was crucified, when Jesus conquered death, no more sacrifices were required. When Jesus took his last breath, the Bible says the curtain of the temple, the veil that separated a man from the Holy of Holies, it was torn in two. No longer do you need a fallible priest to represent you with animal's blood to go into the Holy of Holies for God to forgive, for God to be merciful uh, for man's sinfulness. No. Jesus became the ultimate, perfect, and final sacrifice. This is love. This is God's glorious saving grace and this is why when we come to church on Sunday morning and we sing about Jesus and Jesus is the centerpiece of our table is because there is no salvation there is no forgiveness of sin under any other name it's Jesus and Jesus alone And that's what the prophets talk about in the person of Christ. And then we see in the Psalms, the third part of the Old Testament, Psalm 22, we we see that Jesus was reproached, he was sneered, his bones were out of joint, but not broken. Not a bone of Jesus' body was broken. Again, Another fulfillment of prophecy. Exodus chapter 12, verse 46. The Passover lamb, when the Passover lamb was to be consumed, not a bone of that lamb was to be broken. His hands and feet were pierced. His clothes clothes were divided by lots. Psalm 22 talks about this. Psalm 69, 4 says he was hated without reason. Psalm 41.9 says he was betrayed by a friend. Psalm 16, verses 10 and 11, he would, be a, he would not be abandoned to the grave, but brought to a path of life. And in Psalm 31, God would deliver him from death. And so Jesus, the greatest teacher of all of history, was talking the word of God, was talking about the word of God. And as Jesus concluded that teaching in verse verse uh, 31 of uh, Luke chapter 24, the Bible says that Jesus broke bread. Go to Luke chapter 24, verse 31. Or verse 30, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Look at verse um, 45 then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures church we must know these things know the truth of what the word of God says about Jesus but in order for us to understand these things it is going to require the spirit of God to open our eyes And open our minds. 
And that's what Jesus did with these disciples. When he took the bread, Jesus wasn't um, participating in the Lord's Supper at this moment. Uh, these, Cleopas and his companion, they didn't know of the Lord's Supper and what that was all about. But the Bible says when Jesus broke the bread, I'm sure that Cleopas saw the nail-scarred hands of Jesus and realized it was Jesus at that point. And then the Bible says he disappeared. And they ran back to Jerusalem and they told the disciples that they had seen the Lord and all that he had said to them. And then Jesus appears to the disciples and he goes back again through the Old Testament. And then Jesus opens their minds to understand who he really is. Lord, folks, for you and I to know the word of God, we must rely on the Holy Spirit whom Jesus has given us. Jesus is no longer here, but he's given us a helper in his place. You know, when Jesus was here after the resurrection, he could only be in one place at one time. It was to our benefit that Jesus ascended back into heaven because when he ascended, he sent the helper in his place. And the helper is made available to every one of God's children who receive the Son by faith. The Helper is our teacher. He helps us to understand what the Scripture has to say. The Holy Spirit is can help us in understanding the Word of God. And that's what happened with these disciples. Did they get it? Absolutely. Jesus had 40 days, 40 days to spend with his disciples. And after the 40 days, he ascended into heaven. If these disciples were going to take the message of the gospel, God's story that started in the book of Genesis, if they were going to take this, this story and it was going to spread to the ends of the earth, They needed to know this book. They weren't going to have Jesus, but they were going to have his word and they were going to have his Holy Spirit and they needed to know this book. Did they get it? Yes, they did. If you go to the book of Acts, you'll see several sermons. We're not going to go through those sermons, But in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 41, Peter is primarily preaching to the Jews. He's gone back to the Old Testament and he quotes the book of Joel. He quotes Psalm 16. And he's telling the nation of Israel that Jesus is the fulfillment of, of the Old Testament. If Jews are going to be convinced, the disciples are going to have to use the Old Testament. Don't listen to but somebody and think that the Old Testament is irrelevant, that it's all about the New Testament. No, the two Testaments go together. For us to truly understand who Jesus is and all that he's fulfilled, we've got to know the Old Testament. And Peter understood and he conveyed these things. In Acts chapter 14, verses 10 through 13, he quotes from Psalm chapter 118, verse 22, that Jesus was the stone that the builders rejected. And as the disciples, let's look at, Acts chapter 4 for just a moment. Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. It says, Let it be known to all you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. 
Now, Jesus has ascended into heaven now, but Peter is conveying to them that Jesus is alive. Verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which have become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Why was Peter and John and the other disciples, why were they so bold? They had, they had seen the resurrected Lord. They had spent the next 40 days periodically listening to the words of Jesus, describing him from the Old Testament. They have received the gift of, of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is illuminating their hearts and minds further as to who Jesus really is. They are bold. They are wise. And these unbelievers are looking at these men and thinking, these are uneducated guys. These guys are fishermen. But there's something different about them because they've been with Jesus. Folks, the Spirit of God can teach you the very same thing. You have the ability to be with God as we hunger and thirst for the Word of God and learn what the Bible has to say about Jesus. And how it all culminates, how it all points to him. The disciples understood these things. They now understood the Old Testament through the person, through the lens of Jesus Christ. And then they were given an assignment. Let's go back to chapter 24. Then he opened their minds, verse 45, to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And that's what they did. They went back to Jerusalem They waited for the Holy Spirit to come and empower them. And then they became God's spokespersons, God's preachers, beginning in Jerusalem, sharing the good news of the gospel. Repentance, the importance of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And their assignment, church, is our assignment today. Our mission, our message begins in our Ridgecrest. And what is our message? Repentance and the forgiveness of sin. Jesus has died in our place. And if we will believe that, if we will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus was my substitute, I deserve to die on that cross. But I believe Jesus died in my place so that my sin might be forgiven. And that three days later, he came up from the grave I can have forgiveness of sin. I can have new life, life eternal in him. This is our message. And it begins in our Jerusalem. And it goes on in in the New Testament. 
we reflect on the person, the life of Jesus and what Jesus wants us to do based upon the fact that he's alive, based upon the fact that he's given us his Holy Spirit, based on the fact that we are his ambassadors. One of the things he tells us in Galatians chapter 3 is that we can't neglect the poor. We must focus on the gospel and we need to focus on the needs of the poor and other things as well, building up the body of Christ. And it begins in our Jerusalem. The elders, we're looking at this next year and we're praying about, God, what would you have us do in this next fiscal year? What needs to be our priority? What needs to keep us unified and together, but focus on, on a particular direction? We have some ideas, but again, this is our message right here. Our message is repentance and the forgiveness of sin. And it begins in our Jerusalem. I want to encourage you. What do you think God would have us to do in Ridgecrest as Emmanuel Baptist Church? What would you like to see happen based on what the scripture says that we need to be about in this next year? Would you communicate to that, that to us? You can communicate with an elder. You can use the connection card uh, in the pocket in front of you. I'd like to hear from you what your thoughts might be. We have a good start this year. I am so excited about what God's doing in the neighborhood suppers. People are coming to our church who would never come on the weekends, but they have needs. And we're helping meet a physical need, but if all we do is meet that physical need on a Monday night and never talk about the gospel, we fail. We need to be his witnesses. When Jesus ministered to someone, he was concerned about the whole person. And as we meet those important physical needs that gives us a platform to share the good news of the gospel because this is the most important assignment. What would God have us to do? Friends, study to show yourself approved. Jesus is the answer. The Bible all points to him. Know this book and then share this good news. And it is good news. It's not bad news. It's great news. Share it with people who need to hear it. Let's pray. Jesus, your word says that the lost will know that we are Christians by our love, by our fruit. God, I thank you for the Christians like this, the organization Samaritan's Purse who's in the Middle East today, representing the love of Christ to Muslim people, Yazidis, who don't know Christ. And God, those religions that have not believed Jesus are questioning their religion today because of all the hate 
all the evil that they seek happening among people who call themselves Muslims. And Lord, they're questioning their religion and they're looking at Christians and they're seeing their love and they're responding to the gospel. God, I pray that that the knowledge that we have of you would not lead to spiritual pride. But God, it would lead to humility. It would lead to a brokenness to those who don't know Christ. And through love and compassion and prayer and trust, dependence on your Holy Spirit, God, we would we would share the good news. We would meet people's needs here in Ridgecrest with the love of Christ. Show us, God, what we, you would have us to do this next year. And lead us in unity and fulfilling your desire for this church. Father, I pray for this time of invitation. There's some who may be hurting here this morning and need to pray with someone. Lord, I pray that they would take this opportunity. But again, we stand and we worship Jesus because of what you have done for us. Thank you for this opportunity. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to worship. And again, if you need prayer this morning, if you need to talk to a counselor, there's going to be people in the dining room who want to um, hear what you, what's on your heart. But let's worship our Lord and Savior.